And again, my heart is, and really what the word is this morning, if you're taking notes, is to, um, oh yes, I'm getting the signal. We want to dismiss our GPC kids. You guys have your own service. And uh, Miss Kendra and Miss Kathy have a great lesson planned for you guys. We love you guys. We'll see you uh, in about an hour and a half, right? That's how long I'm going to preach this morning. But I'm not going to preach too long. I just want to share, really, I believe, a devo- really a devotion, a heart that uh, I've been processing through, been praying for our church. And uh, if you're taking notes, write the, the message title down. But it's Go the Second Mile. We want to go the second mile, what Jesus uh, commanded us to do. Go ahead and look at your neighbors. Say, Go the Second Mile. We're going to unpack what all of that means. But all the stories we've had now, the past four weeks, like you said, Tracy, everyone's story is different. And your story, your testimony, I love what the Word of God says, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony. And that we want our testimony, just like the song we opened up with and introduced several weeks ago, that we've all gone from death to life. That we've all come to a place of experiencing the great grace that, is, um, that has been given to us. And when we unite, we come, as I shared, we have one enemy and we have one mission. Our enemy's name is Satan. And our mission, as Tracy shared in the book of Matthew, the gospel is to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we unite there, we can see the word of God. We can see the power of God released and unleashed. We can see the gospel unleashed in our world. But we all know that Jesus has some tough statements. The Beatitudes is full of really transcendent paradoxical statements of Jesus where he takes what seems somewhat doable or attainable in the law and he turns it right side up and says you think you have it down of just loving your neighbor but I say you need to go and love your enemies and this is what Jesus is full of is taking the what we think we can accomplish on our own or through um, decrees or methods or systems and he takes it and elevates it to the place of it matters the intents of the heart it matters the mindset it matters the attitude it matters the spirit you're carrying these things in and so here's where we see Jesus say you need to go the second mile in the Beatitudes he says it here in Matthew 5 38 through 42. To give you some context, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. We can all stop there and cringe. Imagine if you're in the audience here, hearing Jesus say that. Now we can talk through this and what does he mean by that? And that's a message for another time. It's not that you are to just always step aside and take everything coming toward you. But that's a message for another time and we'll get into that, I'm sure, in the future. But it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you, here it is, to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So he's saying, if you're asked to go one mile, go to. Now what's amazing about this passage of scripture and the context of the time of what this would be given in to the Jews listening in on this beatitude is when Jesus is saying to go the second mile, here's how they would understand it. Here, the context of how they would understand it would be this. 
is that when, uh, by Roman law, if you're a Jew in that time and a Roman soldier were to come up to you and, at, and say, hey, you there, you could be working, you could be doing whatever, going about your day, serving, you could be in worship. A Roman soldier by law at any moment in time could pull you aside and say, I need you to carry my utilities, I need you to carry my bag. So by law, that Jew would have to come walk alongside that Roman soldier and walk a mile carrying his luggage, carrying his bag. And if you're um, really an Orthodox Jew, a practicing Jew, uh, as I was studying this, they would do exactly the amount of steps that they were required by law, and then they would drop the bag right where they were. And then they would move on. They fulfilled that commandment there, or fulfilled that law under Roman law. So when Jesus is saying that, he's telling them, and notice it's not, it doesn't say, uh, and if a soldier compels you to go one mile, it's, he takes it even deeper. He says, whoever says to go one mile, you're to go two. So he broadens it even more, not just a Roman soldier, but whoever asks you to carry, you're to go that second mile. So as Jesus is sharing this, what's going through the, the per- perception or the perspective of, of the Jew hearing that is they're hearing, whoa, 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 whoa. We already carry their stuff. Those, the Roman soldier who is oppressing us, so now we have to carry the bag, not one, but two miles of the, of the soldier who's oppressing us? How well would you receive that? And so Jesus is saying, don't go one, go two. Now, get this as well. If you go one mile, that means another mile back. So you're always going two miles. So now you're going two miles and then you're going two miles back. So that's four miles in how a Jew would understand this. And what I want you to hear hear and see through this and what's been burning in my heart is that we've got to be a church that's willing to go the second mile. We have to be a people that's willing to go the second mile because it's in the second mile. And honestly, as I study believers of old, as you study men and women of God who changed the world for Jesus, they were always ones who went the second mile. They were always ones who did extra. They were always ones that didn't feel obligated because the first mile was obligation, the second mile was opportunity. And I think many times we just do the bare minimum. We're just doing what's obligated of us. But it's in the second mile is where the blessing is. It's in the second mile where the heart change is. It's in the second mile of where you see God do the supernatural. I want to say it this way too, is the first mile is the mandated mile, but the second mile is the miracle mile. We're mandated to go one mile, but we will see the miraculous when we go the second mile. And as a church, especially in this time of racial injustice, in this time of trying to unify, in this time of an election coming up when it divides so many people, We have to be willing to go the second mile. We have to be willing to listen, to know other people's stories, to understand where somebody else is coming from on all sides. We have to have conversation and be willing to go the second mile with people because our flesh wants to write people off easily. Our flesh, when someone doesn't agree with us, we turn, okay, I'm I'm not pursuing that relationship. I'm not going there because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be sticky. It's going to be messy. We've all been there before. But going the second mile is pushing past our flesh pushing past our emotion and it's pushing past what we think is right in our context and in our world and so Jesus is full of always encouraging us to go the second mile and it's not an obligation but it is an opportunity if you're willing to go the second mile what this says too is I want to lighten the load of somebody else 
I want to help somebody else who's struggling or who's hurting. How can I help enlighten the load? Going the second mile isn't waiting to be asked, but it's being intentional. How many of you know that's the key as well? That you're, you're putting on the eyes of the Spirit and you're being intentional to look for those that are hurting and those that are in need, those that need care, those that need love. And so we see that we have to be, one, obedient first. The first, the first mile we have to obedi- be obedient to go on it. But then when it's time to go the second mile is where I believe we see the power of God begin to move and begin to do. Several scriptures that we need, I believe, to get in our spirit and be reminded of. Number one is this, is James 1.22. James 1.22 says this, says, but be doers. Everybody say doers. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I love what it says. We kind of miss this part, deceiving yourself. See, I think many times we, we love the scripture where it says faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We love hearing. We love consuming. We love taking it all in. But the power is not in the hearing. The power is always in the doing. And so if we're going to be a church or a people that goes the second mile, let us not be deceived where we just hear a message, where we just hear a worship song, but we actually take it and we apply it. We actually take it and walk. That's why I love what it says, the fruits of the Spirit. It isn't just to develop fruit, but what does it say? It's to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, that we have to activate them. We have to walk in them. We can't just be hearers, but doers of the word of God. It also says in James four seventeen, it says to him who knows to do good, but doesn't do it, it is sin. Now this gets into the theology of the sins, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. I think we live a lot in the space of the sin of commission. We ask for forgiveness what we did. We ask it for forgiveness. Um, I say you, you cheated or you lied. You know what you did. That's the sin of commission. Now the flip side of that too is many times we stay there where we say, well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not doing this, but I, so I'm okay. It's all good. I'm not committing a sin of commission. But the second mile believer, the second mile follower just doesn't focus on the sin of commission, but we have to be willing to look at the sin of omission. And the sin of omission is what we're not doing. See, when we're a mature believer in Christ, when we're growing in this process in Christ, it's not about what you are doing or what you are, are not doing, the sin of commission, but it's what am I not applying in the word of God to my life? Where is the gospel positioning things like loving the widow, loving the orphan, loving your enemies, going the second mile, reading the Beatitudes, checking yourself, allowing that refiner's fire? That can be known as the sin of omission. And so we have to be aware of being doers of the word, not just hearing it, and also understand that the Bible is full. It's, you just don't get by. Jesus doesn't give you the pass and the ticket by what you don't do, but it's also by what, you, what you're not doing, the sin of omission. That we want to pursue righteousness and we want to pursue holiness. As I was sharing with, as we were praying, that the church gives us this process and this method that it goes purification, illumination, and union, communion with Christ. That we have to allow the Spirit of God to refine us, to purify us. That we can't skip past that. But on the other side as well, we can't just camp there all the time where we're always so concerned about not sinning or we're always so concerned about am am I doing this right or doing that wrong that you can get caught up in a 
in a selfish way of always just focusing on yourself and what you're doing, what you're not doing. That's purification. But illumination is, Holy Spirit, I need you to change my perspective. I need you to change my perspective of, I love my neighbor, but do I really love my enemy? Am I praying for my enemy? Am I praying for those that are uh, speaking ill against me? Am, am I doing what the word of God says? And this is the challenge, again, where Jesus, when you really read the Gospels in the raw, authentic, genuine way, it should always challenge you because your flesh is always trying to tell you a different story and point you a different way and for you to get right, for you to, to prove yourself. And I want to to say this too about repentance is that repentance we hear all the time is, is I'm going to stop doing what's wrong and really a lot of the times I'm guilty of it myself but in, when we go before God in repentance we don't experience the fullness of it many times we understand repentance is a halt where we stop we stop doing what's evil we stop doing what's wrong we stop sinning but we stop right there See, the fullness of experience for repentance is not only do you halt and stop, but it's, it's a turnaround. So you stop, but then you turn and you exchange through the grace of God, the bad behavior, the wrong mindset, and then you begin to pick up and you begin to walk in illumination as you're being purified and you begin getting the heart of God. You begin getting the mindset of God. The spirit of God makes the kingdom way of thinking, the kingdom way of doing come alive in you. Somebody say amen to that. That that's the fullness of repentance that we want to experience. Not just I stop. And I think so many people stay in a, a perpetual cycle because they just stop, but then they never pick up what the Spirit of God then wants to fill them with. Because you, yes, you have to stop, but you don't stop there. Then you have to go and get filled up with what the Word of God says about the situation. We see an example of this, Ephesians 4.28. I opened up with this several weeks ago. It says, don't give the devil a foothold. It goes on to say this, and it gives the story of what repentance looks like. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So stop stealing, but don't stop there. It says, what else must you do? But now you must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So not only was he to stop stealing, now he's to go to work and make right the wrong he did and give back that which he stole. So I want you to see that the gospel is full of this fullness of repentance because that's where we genuinely and truly and authentically change. It goes on to say in verse 29, it says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And I love this. When you speak to people, let it be seasoned with salt. The scripture speaks about letting it be seasoned with salt. That we are called, for the cheesy pastor analogy, to be salt shakers, okay? That we're to shake salt. That we're to be one making sure our words are seasoned with salt. Most of the, the traps or the things that the drama or the issues... I've seen or been involved in or whatever, mostly is by words. If they were seasoned with a little salt, you could have avoided a lot of, of mess or a lot of pain or a lot of hurt. And so it's being reminded in this time that we allow our speech to be seasoned with salt. Why? Verse 30 says this, because we don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. 
We don't want to hurt the heart of God. And it says, it says, goes on to say, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's the challenge. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. That in the middle of everything, we can't allow bitterness to have my heart. We can't allow wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking. You know, I try very intentionally to keep my heart free of bitterness because I know that I, I say this to Bree, I said, I can't allow myself to get bitter because I have to put a message together. I have to preach. I have to love people that if bitterness gets in my heart, I'm going to be jaded. If hurt and anger gets in my heart, I'm going to be jaded. And I can't love genuinely and authentically the way we see Jesus teach us to love. I can't go the second mile for my enemy because I'm hurt or because I'm bitter. And so we can't afford to allow ourselves to get caught up in this because not only is it doesn't make us sick, but it grieves the heart of God. And what does it say? Let us be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Humility and gentleness is the key right now. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. A quote for you, Kenny, you might have it in the back from Mother Teresa. She says this about how we interact with each other. I don't think they have it back there, but I want to read it. It says, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, and kindness in your smile. I think it's a good challenge that when someone comes to us, let's pray that they leave better than when they first came to talk with us or seek count, whatever it may be. But let our lives be the living expression of God's kindness to that person. You know, I think many times of what James says of don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. I think, imagine if Jesus was not a doer. Imagine if Jesus just saw humanity's problems, humanity's pains, but he never did anything about it. That's what the heart of the gospel is, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He, he gave. He did something. He didn't just pray. He didn't just talk and come up with solutions. He physically gave his life for us on the cross, shed his own blood, and then resurrected to give you and I life, to give us the spirit of Jesus so that we can achieve what we see in Ephesians 4. Because without Christ, bitterness will have your heart, anger will have your heart, you'll get offended at every drop, that we have to have the spirit of God so that we can be the kindness of God to those around us. You know, I think about Paul, I think about Peter, that what would the book of Acts be if they weren't doers? If they just stayed in the upper room and prayed and enjoyed the Holy Spirit themselves. But the Holy Spirit commissioned them and then sent them. So you're always given a purpose, but then you're sent. And so we have to take that time, again, the purification, illumination, and union with God. That there's a time of purification, but then it's the illumination that the Spirit of God wants to illuminate His life in you. And so I want to give you two things this morning. Two things that I believe motivated Jesus, motivated Paul, Peter, the great builders of the church, so that we can be and go the second mile and be second mile followers. First, we have to look at the why. There's a lot of scriptures I could bring out to you, but look what 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says. And it just sums it up. It says, for the love of Christ, what? Compels us. So they were compelled because of the love of Christ. They were compelled what was already deposited into their life that they 
had this, this stream of love being poured into them so that they could go and give it and be compelled by it. There's nothing worse than being a dry Christian and trying to love someone when you have not experienced the love of Christ yourself or going into a toxic situation and you've not taken the time to pray up or asking the Holy Spirit to fill you with love for that person. I'm telling you, this is what it's like to be a second mile follower is we have to allow, just like Paul and Peter, who were going into a toxic society, who were going into Roman rule, who were trying to bridge the Jew and the Gentile to bring unity that was never seen, that it was only by the love of Christ compelling them to do that. Nothing else and nothing less. It was the love of Christ compelling them. So that was their why. Secondly, the what. What should we do? I think many times we ask, okay, the why, the love of Christ has to compel us to go into the world, to be the change, to step outside of not just worrying about what I'm not doing, but uh, or what I am doing and asking for forgiveness, but what does the gospel then commission me and command me to do in this life and in this world? So one, the what or the why is compelling. Number two is this, if you're taking notes, write it down. First Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That we're called to be imitators. We're called to look like Jesus and be like Jesus. I know this is a simple message, but I know it can get missed that we have to understand that we are to imitate who Christ was in the earth. That we, having the spirit of Jesus, can then go be Jesus in our homes, can go be Jesus in the office, can go be Jesus in the world. That we have to imitate him, to be like him. I think about what Jesus did time and time again as being a second mile, uh, setting the standard of the second mile. Think about the time when he went in after a long day of ministry, his apostles, his disciples were there, that he could have easily called for servants to come and wash their feet. But he chose, Jesus, the Son of God, chose to take their sandals off, calloused, worn, dirty, and, and make a moment with each apostle and wash their feet to model what servanthood should look like. And see, you and I, when we say, I want to imitate him, you're basically signing up to say, I want to serve people. That my, my Jesus' heart was to serve his enemies. His heart was to serve those who did not agree with him. His heart was to go to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and said, I'm having dinner in your house. He was given the name a friend of sinners. He served sinners. And it's crazy when you think about it, but he was not afraid of public opinion or what someone thought if he's having dinner with that person. His heart was to serve them. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. He took her sin and forgiven her and then sent her off and blessed her with peace. Think about the demon-possessed man who was full of a legion of demons. He went to the island that he was sent to by, the, by the, the leaders of the land because no one knew what to do with him. He got on a boat, went there, and brought the love of God and the power of God and set him free of a legion of demons. I'm telling you, Jesus, if you're going to walk the second mile, it's not just loving people you want to love or loving people you think you can actually help. It's being open to say, Holy Spirit, whoever you lead me to, I'm a second mile follower. I'm going to help carry the burden of somebody else. It's not just about me. It's not just about my church experience. It's about the love of God and walking it out and imitating Christ, just as Paul and Peter did. Let me be a servant. It's not an obligation. Christianity is not an obligation, but it is a response to love. 
you are not obligated to be here. I believe you are here because you want to grow in the love of God. You want to grow in the purposes of God so that you can be Jesus to the world, so that we can be made in the image and likeness and walk in a mature love. I love what Isaiah 35, 8 through 9 says. It foretells of really this, this path or this highway that would be given to us as believers. It says, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. See, many times we, it's, it's both sides of the coin. Many times we want the Spirit, we want to see the Spirit move, we want to sense the Spirit, but we have to be reminded His name is Holy Spirit. That holiness is synonymous with the Spirit. That if we're walking this out, it is a path and a call to holiness. It is a path and a call to righteousness. That if you are walking the second mile, it's not checking your values and your convictions, but it's allowing them to grow stronger and, and to get uh, more mature. That your convictions can, should continue to become more like what Jesus's were. But not in a way of, of I can't sin or I can't go there. It's, it's going to the place of where we can easily lack as believers where am I willing to love my neighbor? Am I willing to love that person based off what someone may say about me? Mother Teresa says this as well. She's got a lot of good things to say about loving because she embodied imitating Christ. She said, it's not about how much you do, but how much love you put into what you do that counts. See, it's not about trying to get all this activity and loving all of these people, but taking one person, taking one situation, and being, being a quality representation of Christ. See, I, I'm a firm believer as well, is that it's the Christians who only go one mile that kind of ruin it for the Christians that are trying to go the second mile. Because the one-mile Christians, again, it's mandated. They're usually selfish. They're more in it for what's in it for them. But the second-mile Christian is understand it's about serving. It's about people. It's not about getting credit and accolades and people applauding me when I serve someone. But it's doing it to honor God. It's doing it to serve the heart of God, taking what the gospel says to do. So let's be second-mile believers. Can we do that this morning? Can we take the challenge to be second-mile followers? And your, your challenge is to just meditate and study in the Beatitudes this morning, this week, and begin to get the heart of God of what does this second mile look like? How can I lighten the load of somebody else? You know, I was, I'll close with a story, then we have a wonderful baby dedication. Josh and Amberly and Hannah, you guys can go get her. Um, but this morning, this message was put to the test. And I always say that just because I'm preaching it, it's usually I've had to go through it at some point. And that's where it comes from. But this morning, Bree, on the way into worship practice at 820, um, she's running a little late. I got the kids together. And uh, she's in my truck. And because she's running late, we all do it, but we don't do full stops at stop signs. Anybody ever been there before? So she rolls through a couple stop signs. A cop is waiting there, pulls her over on the way to worship practice. And uh, she doesn't have her phone. Um, we, I was just getting stuff in and out of the truck, so registration wasn't in there. She was just going to give her a warning. All these things kind of started coming up. And then I'm on the way to Starbucks, try to be a second mile follower for my wife and get her some Starbucks. <laughs> Surprise her with a little bucks. But thankfully, I went a path I normally don't go. And as I'm driving out, I'm like, is that my truck? And is that what's police? Are? What's going on here? I got the kids with me. 
And uh, so I obviously just pull up and say, what's going on? And so I roll through a stop sign. He's working through it. So, okay, let me go talk to him. Maybe I can um, work things out, get, get things going so you can get to practice. And, um, and at the whole time I'm thinking, it's probably going to be a really good message this morning because we're getting pulled over. But I go up to him and I guess he assumed that I was just a nosy neighbor coming up to the officer's vehicle. So he's like, sir, you're going to need to go back to the car. I, did, I don't know what you're doing. I got him working through this. I said, okay. It was just kind of a little rude about it. And I said, all right. Um, well, I'm her husband, and we're trying to get to church. I got to preach this morning. Um, help me out here. And, yeah, there you go. You got to preach this morning. Pull your Bible out, put it on top. You got to do what you got to do. Second mile follower. And so I started talking to him, and Immediately, his demeanor changed. Okay, sorry, I didn't know you were with her and this and that. And so Bree's able to get going, get to practice. I hang out there with him, talk with him a little bit, and get to know him, tell him kind of what we're doing. And um, kind of when we all wrapped it up, I said, is there anything I'd be praying for you about? And he just kind of took a step back. Because when you're initially rude to someone, at, at least if you're not Christian, then you kind of sets the tone and you're rude back and you just kind of keep building on it. But what I always try to do, and this is a part of not just being a salt shaker, come on, but being a grace dispenser, that our first response should be to dispense grace, okay? You're not going to forget them, that's why. And so asked him to pray, and he said, just be praying for his family, and said, oh, we'll definitely be praying. We're praying for you and what you do, and, and uh, just had a good moment there. And he then came back to the car, gave the kids a sticker, they high-fived him, and ended up being well. And one thing too, I, I told myself, said, I'm not going to allow this moment to ruin my morning, to ruin what God wants to do in the church. That that's how you have to begin to think. That no matter, it's, it's the third option, what we talked about last week. It's what Trace even said too, that it's, it's valuing, it's showing respect, it's showing honor. And so let us take, I pray, this message this morning. If you would actually just stand to your feet. I want to pray. And I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he's speaking to you through this message. And I want you to specifically ask him, who can I love this week? Maybe they're in your home. Maybe they're in your office. Maybe it's on a Zoom call. But ask, who can I go the second mile for? I'm telling you, when you begin to ask him these things, it's a dangerous prayer. But he'll begin to refine you, to purify you, and then commission you to go to the second mile for someone. Jesus, this is our prayer this morning, that we want to respond to the call. We just don't want to get caught up in what we're going through or what's happening with us, but we want to be able to go to the second mile for those maybe sitting next to us, those in our neighborhoods, those in our offices, communities. God, that you would place a burden on our heart from what Jesus said. If someone asks you to go one, go two. God, we believe that we're not obligated and mandated, but it's miraculous in its opportunity. That when we go the second mile, it could, it could even be like the, the Roman soldier who said, when uh, Jesus was on the cross and experiencing the crucifixion, and he said, surely this is the son of God. I was thinking about this, that what if a Jew was walking that second mile with that Roman soldier and because of his witness it planted a seed that when he saw the crucifixion of Christ maybe something came across his mind that 
man, I saw the love and the care of these followers. This is the Son of God. I'm telling you, when you go the second mile, your witness, God will use your witness and will use the seed to plant with someone. And ultimately, it's an invitation to go the second mile because it's in the second mile God will use you as you're developing the fruit. The fruit of the fruit is the gifts and you will see the gifts of the Spirit come alive because you've developed that in character and that integrity. Jesus, we pray right now that you would deposit your heart, that we would go the second mile for each other. God, even everyone watching online, that you would speak to them, give them a name, give them a place of where they can go the second mile for someone. Holy Spirit, we are open to what you want to do. Our world needs second mile followers that aren't in it for themselves, that aren't in it for what they can get consuming just Christianity all the time. But we're called to go and do. We're called to go and be. So God, we thank you that the change starts with us, that the scripture says you shake everything that can be shaken. Refine us, purify us, because we want to be all about our Father's business. We thank you, God, that you didn't stop by just carrying a bag, but you actually carried a cross. And because you carried the cross, you gave us life and life abundantly. You opened the door where we don't have to be caught up in bitterness. We don't have to be angry and offended. But God, we can walk in freedom because of the Spirit of God, the love of God being poured out liberally within us. God, do this work of a second mile follower. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite the Corbett family up and we're going to take a moment. You can be seated. We're going to dedicate. They came as a crew. Anyone who came with them, you can come on up as well.